Welcome to the IMO podcast. Honest and open conversations with care leavers. Hey, it's Chris with the IMO podcast and today we are joined by Jerome Harvey Ajay. Now, Jerome, you're becoming a bit of a celebrity on the care lever circuit, I've noticed, for various reasons. One of the reasons is that you are the founder of the Topi Project. Could you tell us a bit about that? So yeah, um, the Topi Project is a project that was set up in memory of one of our friends, Topi, who committed suicide. He was also a former care lever and so we decided that we wanted to create, turn that pain into something positive and help to give space for young people to feel loved and connected without having to, you know, without people being paid for their time. So it was all about an authentic space which people could be, feel connected, grow, love and give them that energy to end the year with, but also start the next year with. So we didn't know what we was doing. So when people think, oh yes, they had this great plan. They must have had a great team. Yes, we had a great team, but we didn't have a plan. So we it was all learning as you go along. Um, but one thing that led we led with was our hearts. So we had a passion. We'd all understood what it meant to come from care because most of our team were care experienced. Um, but we also knew that we wanted to create a space where people can feel like they don't have to have those intrusive thoughts and let them lead. Actually, we strike the balance with love. One thing we don't talk about much in uh, when we're talking about care experience people in the care system is love. Like that's not a word we we hear very often. Was that your experience when you were coming through the care system? Yeah, I mean, I've always said it. I find it ironic that it's called the care system, but we don't incorporate love within the system. So it was really interesting to observe how language was conditioning us as young people in care to feel unloved. So for instance, you know, you don't have a home, you have a placement, a place that you're meant to move on from. Um, and you know, you'd call a case, not a human. And so there's all these different things. I'm a bit airy fairy now. So I'm just like, it's gotta be a home, man. But you find when you use certain language, you, it resonates. And you know, when you've, you know, I had a carer who said to me one time, welcome home, you know, like, and I was like, raw, she actually called it a home, not a placement. So, and the way she spoke about you know, us was was as human beings, we weren't just a case. So growing up in the system, it was important that we had those figures who were able to help us to see the human side. So for instance, having a social worker who cried um, was the only social worker that I had that cried or showed some sort of emotion, made me realize, oh, okay, they do care. So there's all these different things that happen within the system, but the Unfortunately, a lot of the professionals are taught to be quite robotic. Don't show emotion. Don't tell them nothing about yourself because, you know, safeguarding. But actually those things end up, you're not able to build proper relationships. So for me, it was key that having those relationships. And luckily, I had a few different people who pushed the boundary um, of the relationship, but actually are the ones that I have relationships with now, you know, lifelong relationships. So it was, it, and that was key because you model what you grow up around. So for instance, if you're looking at professionals and they're very kind of cold and, you know, we can't get to know you, but we know everything about your life, you kind of model that in in society. And so that's not actually healthy. So, I mean, grow. Uh, what was good was I had a balance of experiences. So I, I had quite negative experiences, but I also had very positive experiences. So I was able to to know the difference you know, know when, what was not good and know what was good. 
Um, and there was kind of a period between 2000 and 2008, I would say, where there was a lot of amazing work done by because um, the, the society was very heavy on children's rights and it was very focused on, you know, the voice of the child, every child matters, all this stuff. And it was like young people at the paramount of decision making and there was lots of groups and participation and people involved in decisions and lots of interesting creative activities going on for young people. So what it did is it exposed me to the beauty of, you know, getting involved in young people, getting involved and overly exposed into different arenas. And then it gives you the confidence to go out into the world and say, you know what, I'm going to go beyond the, the kind of stereotypes of what we, we've grown up with around, you know, being in care, you know, you're, the, you're from the Tracy Beaker stumping ground kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, so you definitely, like, I had a balance in terms of like knowing, okay, this is what negative is and this is what positive is for us. Did the positive become, come before the negative or did the negative come before the positive with you? I think for me... Um, because my foundation was built on negative and trauma, it was easier for me to have to, to, to access negative. Um, so what I had to do was go into training a little bit in terms of I had to have more positive people around me that were continuing to enable me to, to express positively. My carer was very intentional about getting me involved in lots of different things to keep my mind busy, to expose me to release that energy to find my place in the world. So what I needed was someone who to keep reinforcing how amazing I am, that, you know, don't feel that sense of guilt, you know, not protecting your mum or that guilt coming into care and not being there and shame for not knowing who you are and all these different things. So I had that up to the age of nine. I had, I had a lot of negative experiences um, and my first home that I was in wasn't a home. It was a place that I stayed at and it was quite abusive actually. Um, so those first nine years were, were really tough. Then the next six years, I had a really amazing carer um, who was completely the opposite. So I would say found us and helped us to give us that sense of love, you know, uh, holidays, all these th different experiences that open up your world and you think, wow, the world is beautiful. What she did is she just gave us new meaning. So then at the age of like 15, 16, I had to then piece together like what what do I who am I and you know what has my life been about um, and I tended to go more to the positive side but I always say to people I was also wearing a mask because inside I didn't actually feel as positive as I was putting out if that made sense so I I had a mask on um, and now it's got to the point where I'm just at peace which is a different type of, like, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to people please. I'm just at peace because I know the balance of what I've had. So yeah, growing up, I, I despite having um, really positive experiences, I was still framed in the negative. But what was, what kind of saved me was having a few people that truly cared and that there was no conditions on their love. I think when you when you talk about wearing a mask, that sounds to me protection, but also a way of not letting people know you fully. Have you had a bit of a journey around finding who you are and your authentic self, having come through mm -hmm. the care system? Absolutely. So for me, coming through the care system and going through so much trauma, so like, you know, 
some of the trauma that I've been through combined, uh, when I hear other stories, I'm like, okay, I've, I've actually been through some th things that a lot of people find difficult to handle in just a one unique experience. So coming up through the system, I, I felt that I, I was always wearing a mask and I, I, I was always trying to people please. And then it got to the point where, you know, people were dying around me, Toby committed suicide. And when Toby committed suicide, that made me look at myself. And then it started to kind of become, because I was looking at what happened with Toby and I was like, I'm not even that far off from him in terms of wearing a mask, not wanting to be here. And I, the, the thing that changed for me was the seeing the impact it had on others. And I was like, oh my God, this like, he had so many people that loved him imagine if he loved himself the way people loved him kind of thing so um i went on this self-development course uh, and i would say journey because it's it, self-development is a is a journey a lifelong journey and i just started to unpick a lot of things within um and what was really interesting is that growing up i didn't really know who i was until i was like 13 14 15 so there was a whole period which we suffered in and, and i really had to unpick that and realize that actually there was another meaning available. Like I was strong to be able to go through the level of abuse and trauma that um, I did and still get out and still smile and still go to school and still be kind of popular in school and then still not know, you know, what was going on in my back in my background, um, which was, it is a skill, um, but that stemmed from trauma. And I, a lot of the skills that I've got now, the, the, the big heart that I've got, the space, the awareness, has come through the trauma so i think the, the problem what's happened in a, with a lot of the system is that the the we have so it's so quick for us to access traumatizing ourselves quicker than it is to enlighten ourselves and so for me what's really key was is having that balance so my carer uh, patricia she was amazing man she she would drop all these little gems and you just wouldn't understand so i remember we we smashed up her house one day and she was like carry on, carry on smashing up your house um, because I'm not going nowhere. And it's like, she dropped a gem because she, she was saying, look, you're safe. You you can smash up the house, but I'm going to still be here to listen. Um, yeah. And, it, and the unconditional love that that sounds to me like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like a lot of the carers in, in, our, in day and age now have conditions on, on their love for you. And it's not really love at, at first because um, they have to build a bond. So that is what's really difficult for a lot of young people growing up in the system is because they have conditions on love. If you don't behave in this way, um, rather than it being the other way around. So because I, I tend to explain to a lot of people, professionals in the system, you chose to be here. They didn't. And while they're also here, they lose all their hearts, the objects that are close to them, the places and the people. And they don't have a choice whether they lose them or not. They just lose them. So we have to focus on what these kind of fundamental things, the things that they've lost, which us as adults, if we lose one of these things, if we have to move house, if we, you know, a breakdown in a relationship, if we lose our sentimental piece of jewellery or something like that, or photos, we're heartbroken. But these kids are losing everything in one, in one go. And then they're being asked to conform and behave and um, engage or disengage, and they're, they're labelled as disengaged. Well... Wouldn't you disengage if you lost your house, your objects, your people, the people that you love all in one go? It's interesting to hear you talk about trauma and a journey of recovering from trauma. 
I think it's really important to say that, you know, some of your trauma sounds to have come from the system that was supposed to protect you and heal you. And it feels to me, uh, tell me if this isn't right, but rightly or wrongly, you've had to take a lot of that responsibility of healing on yourself. Absolutely. So um, the system has absolutely traumatised me more than when I was with my mum. So I have to be very frank about that. Um, my abuse that I suffered the first five years of care was worse than when I was with my mum. And that was the worst type of abuse I've had throughout my life. So in terms of, um, in terms of actual healing, that has been my, like, some of the stuff I've done. So I've done dragon healing, I've done equestrian healing, I've done self-development, solution-focused breeze therapy, havening, loads of interrupting trauma, loads of different type healing techniques um and i had to go out and get those things you know cognitive behavioral therapy all of these different things i was like wow there's all this stuff how comes we don't have access to it and so for me it's kind of what i'm advocating for most professionals should number one have counseling available to them as it because you're dealing with trauma so it's going to traumatize professionals but young people should absolutely have access to healing techniques um you know there's so much stuff out there. There's so many great people, interesting people, um, you know, nonviolent communication, very powerful set of tools that you can use that carers can have and how they talk to young people, help young people to understand their emotions. Um, these types of things I've had to go out of my way. I've had to pay thousands of pounds for um, and it's not normal. So I, I always get at people, oh my God, you come across as so happy and so content with your life. And I'm like, but this should be it. Like the, the system is, you know, it's a good thing. It's the care system. They've, you know, your parents couldn't look after you. They're there to, to be that backup parent. But you shouldn't be being traumatised more than your parents. You should be getting, if not over and beyond, what your parents could, could be giving you, but also what society can give you. So you should be over-nurtured. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone that has said, do you know what? What really worked for me was that form I filled in or that meeting I sat through or that waiting list I was put on. Whenever you speak to someone and say what works, they give you the name of a person. Yeah. A bit like you did with your, your foster carer yeah. there. Do, do you think there isn't enough focus on the relationships we have mm. within the system? Like we're too formal or uptight about it. Is yeah. there a way that we can loosen up and be real human beings within the, the, the care system with a view to um, giving people good relationships when they've had bad ones? Chris, that is, you're hitting it right on the nail. So the, the solution, the number one solution to the system at the moment that we're currently is relationships. Relationships is the key to turning these things around, to making this thing work. Um, a lot of people are writing about people they don't know. So because they're time constrained and they're worried about that, they're actually working in fear. A lot of the system is working in fear because if I don't do this, I will get in trouble. This person's going to be at risk and I'm going to look bad and all of this, all this kind of like fear of looking, doing the wrong thing. But actually you get it wrong anyway, because you're, you're, you start writing about someone you don't truly know. And so you're not able to safeguard them because you don't know them. So actually the fear doesn't work. Um, and so we have to go back to love, which is, I want to know this individual. I want to show up. I want to be there. And we need systems that allow us to have the capacity to do that. So catching up with times, we need things like, you know, using voice recording, 
using videos, using pictures, because this stuff is for the child to reflect on their journey and be like, you know what? I had a crap upbringing, wet start, but I didn't have a crap end, you know? I was able to reflect on my journey. I didn't understand all the decisions, but now that I'm looking at my file, it's got pictures, it's got videos, it's got voice notes of the social worker justifying why they made their decision. You know, you was in this bad situation and I didn't want to make this decision, but I had to think about your best interest. And so we moved you. And imagine hearing that in a, in a file. And like, wow, they actually cared. So it's like, how can you, we, we've got the most amazing tools available to us in technology ever, than there ever has been in history. Let's use it. Listening to you talk, you strike me as someone that has a lot of resilience, a lot of inner strength, and a lot of self-awareness and has been able through time to find your authentic self. There's gonna be care leavers listening to this that aren't in that place yet, but are gonna be thinking, I really wanna be where Jerome is. Mm -hmm. What are the very first tentative steps that they could take today mm -hmm. or tomorrow to go on that journey? Yeah. So I think for me, on my journey of kind of self-discovery, self finding my authentic self, I was, um, I was wearing a mask, but I kind of got pushed into it because I had had so many negative experiences. I was like, I can't, I can't keep going through this. I've got to find a way to, to strike the balance of, you know, feel good again. Um, so the first step is just kind of start to ask the right questions. So the right questions for me would be, okay, so what would, what would I want, how, what would make me happy right now? You know, and what will it take for me to, to get into a place of peace? So the, the reason why I say that is because a lot of, a lot of the time we ask ourselves questions that are self-sabotaging. So um, when I say to someone, oh, so what do you want? And they'll go, oh, well, I don't want this and I don't want that and I don't, and what happens is they tend to get what they don't want because they're focused on, on fear. Right, whereas if you move into a place of love, which is what I want and focused on, so what do you want? Okay, so I want this and I want that and I want that without the don't want, because unconsciously it's an energy. So you, you're tapping into a positive energy that's gonna move you in a direction. It's like, your brain's like a sat-nav, it needs very clear and concise direction. When you go, okay, so what do you want? And you go, I don't want, it takes your you out of the direction you need to go. And so I would say you need to start asking the right questions and frame it in with the right intention, as in it needs to be positively framed, but it also needs to focus on what you want. And that's, that's key. So if you're not happy now, okay, what do you want in terms of what does happiness look like for you? Okay, it might be, I, I want to have a certain house, I want to be content within myself, I want to be able to smile, I want to be able to show up and, and have the energy. Once you have that clear kind of picture of what you want, then it's like, okay, who do I need to speak to who can able, or who is a model of what I want to be like that I can speak to, to to get advice in terms of, okay, what did you do? So things like meditation or praying if you're, if you're religious or things like going out for me, what worked for me was nature. Being in nature is something that is really, really healing, getting fresh air, um, and then just speaking like so watching lots of videos because you need to what it is is we've had many years of programming um trauma programming and so you get used to it so you need to now start 
putting yourself in spaces of people that are healing or you know talking life into you making you feel positive so just having because sometimes it's not always to do it it's not easy to do it alone so you might need to be in certain environments so just kind of getting out there going to events that might be um resonating with you a bit or speaking to people that you know you're like wow they they seem happy they seem quite healthy their energy is quite high let me ask them what they do but it's also good to talk to people who um who are very kind of logical and able to kind of bring you out of emotions and start thinking okay we understand you emotionally now let's look at it logically how much does this really mean how much will this mean in 10 years time you know in the grand scheme of life how big is this and then helping them to kind of contextualize it so they think okay maybe it's not it's i'm blowing this out or this trauma's happened to me already why am i re-traumatizing myself now it's time to let go you know kind of thing i hope that answered your question chris very much so very much thank you Jerome, thank you so much for coming on the IMO podcast today. It's been a real privilege to listen to you speak and you are a real inspiration. And I know that a lot of people listening are going to take so much um, power and, and enthusiasm from what you've said. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more stories, experiences and advice from others in care, visit imohub.org.uk. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at IMO underscore latest.